All right, good morning. We'll go ahead and get started this morning. And uh, Jared is going to come in just a second here and, and do our scripture reading and call to worship this morning. Um, before he does that, though, I just want to mention a couple things. One, uh, get a bulletin. There's announcements in there. This Wednesday, with it being spring break, we will have no Wednesday night activities. So that's the children's and the prayer meeting, everything. The, I think we were scheduled to have a leadership team meeting, but but we'll have no activities this Wednesday night. So so don't come to church this Wednesday, all right? If you do, you'll probably be, be by yourself. And if you can help us spread the word, I'll, I'll try to share that on, on Facebook just as, as a reminder. Um, you can see, again, there's a couple announcements. I want to challenge you to get, get a bulletin and keep up with that. We're, we need some donations for candy. There's also a drop-off shower for, for Crystal Sharp. Uh, and there's a couple other things in there. So, Jared, you go ahead and come now. Good morning. Good to see you all. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn to uh, 2 Timothy. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 7. As you're turning there, I just want to kind of prepare you a little bit. Kind of the focus is uh, having to do with entrusting faithful men with the Word of God. Uh, as you all probably know, Vance uh, has been a member here for years, been here longer than I have, and we, he came... He came pursuing a young lady, as we know how that story turned out. But in the process, God got a hold of Vance's heart. He's changed him, saved him, put him to work in, in ministry through uh, the, uh, the diaconate for a while. And then we've recently called him as a pastor. But Vance is desiring to be used of God abroad. So this morning he's preaching, uh, and he'll be preaching next Sunday, uh, potentially to uh, take over pastoring another church in the county. So... Uh, we kind of see there, one, a need for prayer. We need to be praying for Vance and for Rachel. We need to be praying for this other church as well, that God's will would be done, that God would make it very plain and very clear to all uh, what he wants to accomplish through all this. But we see this pattern in Scripture. We see that this is one of the things that the church needs to be doing, is, is recognizing men within the congregation, in faith, faithfully, faithful men entrusting the Scriptures to them, and then there's a time that God might call them out. To, to be missionaries, to be pastors in other locations, and that's that's very much a part of what the local church does. So, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he com competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Will you pray with me? Fathers, we gather here this morning. We are thankful for your word. Thankful, God, for the preparation that it gives us. God, it does make us uh, equipped, uh, thoroughly equipped for all that we need to do. It provides us everything we need for life and godliness. And so we thank you that we have your word, that we have the complete uh, volume of your word from Genesis to Revelation. Everything that you wanted written down and preserved for us, you have done that. And, and we each have a copy of that word available to us. And God, that is a treasure. Your word's not mine, but it ought to be my words. God, your word is a treasure. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It makes wise the simple. God, it is life-giving to us. And as we looked at in Sunday school, meditating on your word and obeying your word is a source of strength and courage for our lives. And God, we need that. We know that Vance and Rachel need that this morning. That, uh, And so we pray for them. We pray for your power and your strength and your, your courage, God, to be granted to them as we have... Uh, shared the gospel and entrusted this message with our faithful brother fans. God, we pray that you would bless him and make known to him your will and your desire for the direction of his life, God, at this point. We pray that you would make clear and plain uh, what direction he ought to go, that you would help him and sustain him as he preaches this morning, God, that he would declare your word boldly as he ought to, clearly, Lord, and proficiently. And we pray that you would allow your sheep to hear your voice, to feed on the word of Christ 
this morning and that they would be enriched and blessed. And God, we pray no less for ourselves. We ask that you would continue to raise up men and women from, out, from, from within this body that will continue to disciple and encourage the work of the ministry. And God, we pray that you would do all these things until all unbelievers hear the gospel, until Christ returns, until, Lord, we enter into glory. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. As they're coming, I just want to ask you this morning, and if you know the gospel, we've just been singing the gospel, the, the good news about Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the first song says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, all of it, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. And that's why we can sing about the cross and our burden rolling away at the cross because it is at the cross that Jesus took the punishment that we deserve for our sins so that we could be forgiven and be given eternal life with, with God. And that is great news. We do want to pray for Vance this morning. Uh, we also want to be continuing to lift up Barry Corder, uh, who's going to the Republic of Georgia and his family. Pray that God would supply their needs and help them raise the funds that they need. So pray with me this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we are eternally grateful. Literally, we are eternally grateful for the fact that our sins uh, are taken by Christ. That although we are, are fallen, although we are broken, although we, we transgress your laws in very many ways, you provided the sacrifice of your son to take the judgment that we deserve so that we could stand in a right relationship with you. Lord, we are here this morning because of that reality, because we've been forgiven through Jesus Christ. I want to pray, Lord, especially for this morning, that, that each one, that each person that's here this morning would know that message that they would believe and trust in your son as their savior. And God, we want to pray for Barry Corder uh, as he is preparing to take this gospel message, this same message that we're celebrating this morning and take it to the Republic of Georgia. God, I pray that you would provide the, the means that are necessary for him to get there, the support that he needs to take his family there to be able to proclaim this gospel. And we pray that you would accomplish that and that you would give him much uh, fruit as as a result of this. God, just be with us this morning and bless this service. May it be to your honor and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The book of Philippians says that when when Christ returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're longing for. And so we ought to praise him now. We ought to bend our knee to him now, and we ought to worship him now. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. We're going to continue this morning in Ephesians, but particularly uh, talking about children and, and parents. We, we looked at Ephesians 6, 4 last week, and uh, we looked at the first half of this because this verse is kind of broken down into a positive or a negative and then a positive. So, so the negative last week was fathers do not provoke your children to anger. We saw that that is primarily directed to fathers, but it includes mothers. And we talked about some of the ways that as fathers particularly and, and as parents in general, some of the ways that we can provoke our children to anger. And we are not to do that. Then this morning we get sort of the positive aspect of that, the, the positive side to that, but this is what you are to do, so don't do that, but do this. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This word here, to bring them up, uh, is an important word. Bring them up. Uh, this means to nurture them. Uh, it has the idea of, uh, of doing the things that are necessary to encourage growth and development, uh, and so that's, that's what we are called to do. We're, we're called to do the things for our children that would encourage their growth and development. It could be translated to bring them up, raising them, rearing them. Uh, this, this is done by providing the things that are necessary for, for growth. Uh, and so this word could be translated to nourish, like you nourish your body by, by eating. In fact, this word is translated in in chapter 5, verse 29, as nourish, when it talks about the way that we care for our own bodies. It says, husbands, love your wives as you love yourselves. And we, we nourish our body, same word, 
that is here. So it's do the things, pro- provide the things for your children that will, uh, that will nourish them, that will nurture them, that will bring them up, that will, will cause them to develop and, and to grow. It is a word to bring them up. This, this word nurture is a word uh, that has implicit in it, I think, the idea of tenderness or gentleness, a, a carefulness. Uh, one commentator on, the, on this passage says this, the, this word is from the language of the nursery and is charged with affection. It's charged with affection. So it clearly has a connotation, sort of a, a tenderness. So, so do the things necessary for them to grow and do it in such a way uh, that, that is tender, that is affectionate, that is careful, that is compassionate. So just a few application points on, on this word. First, first of all, I think we need to be reminded, fathers, although this command is big enough, it's a big enough umbrella to include all parents, this is directed first of all to us. So fathers, you have the responsibility to nurture your children, to raise them, to do the things that are necessary for their development and their growth. That's not just mom's job, right? I provide, I I earn the money, and then mom nurtures the children. Like if that is in your thinking at all, that should be dispelled. You have a responsibility, yes, to provide, uh, but, but you have a responsibility to help nurture, to nourish your children, to provide them with the things that are necessary to help them grow up. Secondly, fathers, this means you're, responsible to provide your children with the things that are necessary for their growth and well-being. So here, fathers, we we tend to think, I think this is the danger, I don't want to say all of us are this way, but but I think that the tendency for us is to think, I provide physical things, right? I earn a paycheck, and that gets dispersed, and my kids and wife are getting all of it, right? And I'm taking care of them, but this is just my job, to provide, I gotta make sure they have a roof over their head. I gotta make sure that food is on the table. They need some new clothes. They can get some new clothes. I'm paying for them to be in sports. I'm paying for, for them to, to do these things. So, so we think I'm providing those things, but this, this word to nurture them is to provide the things that are necessary for their growth. And this growth is not just a physical growth. Guess what? Your children are spiritual beings. They have a spirit, they have a soul, and and they have emotions. And so we don't need to think thinly, just a narrow slice of, I provide for physical things. No, no, it's a broader uh, dimension than that. This means that you are to provide for them in every way that they need to grow. They need to grow emotionally. They need to grow spiritually. And just as you work to provide to, for their physical needs, so you are to make sure that you provide the things necessary so that they are nurtured, that they grow spiritually and emotionally and, and in any other way that children need to develop and grow. And then thirdly, fathers, this is to be done with affection and compassion. If you're like me, uh, you don't like all the wimpiness that's going on around in our, our culture. You like, you want your boys to grow up to be men, right? You, you want, I mean, my goal for my sons is that when they grow up, they, they, they should be able to go in the military, if that's what God calls them to do, and fight. Like, I want to raise sons that, that will stand up and protect those who are in need of protection. Like that's a good goal. And dads, you bear a lot of responsibility uh, to make sure that your sons especially grow up with that kind of toughness. But if you're also like me, you probably tend to spend a little too much focus on that, right? There, there's a, a, another kind of love that our children need. Our, our children and especially our boys need to be tough and rugged and be able to fight and be able to stand up for for what is right, but but they also need our affection. They need our tenderness. And this word implies that, that you are to give that to them. And so uh, we just need to be careful that the way that we nurture our children is with compassion and with affection. Our children 
fathers especially, our children should not just view us as, as drill sergeants, as, as bosses, as people that are always just on their case. They, they need that sometimes. They also need your tenderness and your love. So parents, all of us now, parents, mothers, fathers, think about the immensity of this task. Think about what we're called to do here, what we're commanded to do. Raise up your children. Do the things that are necessary for them to, to grow, for them to, to flourish. Uh, this, this implies, doesn't it, that they just don't grow on their own. They, they don't, believe it or not. Like, we know that physically, like if, if they're malnutrition, uh, malnourished, uh, right, they're, they're not going to grow. So if you don't provide the food for them, they won't grow. They'll ultimately be sick, could even die if you don't provide food for them. Well, the same thing is true of emotional and spiritual needs. They're not going to grow if you don't play some role in that, right? Okay, and now God is saying, parents, we have the responsibility to do the things necessary to cause our children to grow. We know that God is ultimately in control, that, that our children's growth and development is ultimately up to him. But, but in, in his plan, he has given you a role and a share in that responsibility. That is a huge deal. Is there anything else that you do in your life ever? That will be as important as the way that you raise your children? There will not be. I can tell you this. You, you will not have a, a bigger impact on anyone else or, or probably anything else as you have the ability to impact your children. So it's a great, great responsibility. And if you stop and think about that, some of us, some of us try not to think about that too much because it becomes a daunting task, doesn't it? Wow, wow, these children, they're, they're kind of dependent on me. But, but the reality is, uh, we, we don't have to be overwhelmed by this task. We, we should sort of have a, a, a reverence and a respect for the greatness of this task. And I want you to have that. But, but don't become overwhelmed because ultimately it's not up to you. If you're like me, sometimes you think, what, what am I supposed to do? I, I, I think I know what I'm doing. Am I doing the right thing with, with my children? Uh, but, but we get a little more clarity in these verses as far as how that's supposed to, to happen. And so I think we see two key components of uh, sort of the environment in which we are to help our children grow. So if you plant uh, so, so, some plants or, or some flowers, What's the environment that, that they need to be in in order to grow? Well, you probably need some sunlight, right? You don't want to just put them in a dark closet. I don't know, maybe there's some plants that would grow like that, but I, I think ordinarily plants need sunlight. They're going to need maybe some warmth. They're going to need water. There, there's a certain environment that causes them to grow. And, and that's what we see in this text we're commanded to do the things to nurture them in a way that causes them to grow, but, but he doesn't just leave it open-ended like, hey, go do it now. You, you're responsible. Raise your kids. Nurture them. Make sure that they grow up and, and have the things that they need to develop and mature as human beings and, and as followers of Christ. But no, we get some more specificity. We get a little bit of clarity in these verses because he says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We see there are two key components here, uh, aren't there? The, there's the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, the reality is that these two words here, uh, one of them, in, as, as they're translated, one of them has a little more positive connotation, one a little more negative. Uh, discipline, is, we think of in terms of negative sometimes, not, not always. Uh, but then instruction, we think generally more more positive. The reality is that these words overlap, and and really, one commentator said that there the difference in the meaning between these two words is really almost indiscernible. Perhaps one of them focuses a little bit more on the verbal aspect of of this discipline, the the instruction. That's verbal discipline is not necessarily verbal. Uh, so maybe there's a slight nuance there, but really they they overlap. But what we see with both of these words is that they both have a positive and a negative connotation. They both have a positive and a negative side to them. There, there's positive and, and negative. 
And really, you have to have both. Discipline is both formative and corrective. What, what do I mean by that? Sometimes, sometimes when we're providing our instruction to our children, it's not because they're, they're in trouble, right? They haven't done anything wrong. We're just trying to instruct them. We're, we're trying to teach them. When kids go to school and they sit in a classroom, we're not doing that to punish them, right? That's not a punishment. They might think that it is. Sometimes teachers might feel like they're being punished, uh, but, but it isn't a punishment, right? Uh, it, it, it is positive. It's, it's formative. We're trying to form the way that they think. We're trying to give positive instruction to them. But then there are other times, right, when our children do misbehave, when they do something wrong, and, and then there's the negative aspect of that. That's the correction. So there's positive and negative. These, these words reflect the re- reality that there are two aspects of nurturing someone or helping someone grow, namely providing positive teaching or instruction and then correcting or disciplining when that positive instruction is ignored or neglected. And you've got to have both of these aspects. I challenge you this morning. Think about anything where you're trying to help someone grow and develop. Is there, is there any way that that ever happens without both instruction and correction? Without discipline, uh, both positive and negative? Is there any way? So just think about it. A, a team that has been uh, well-disciplined. Uh, a, a team that is, is, is successful. Uh, if we're thinking about March Madness and basketball. Right is a is a team that's been instructed. They they've sat down around the the video and they've watched video of the game. They've 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 sat around the chalkboard uh, and and seen the plays drawn up. Uh, they they've walked through. Okay, you you go this direction and you set the screen and then you cut here. They've done all that thing. This, that's just positive instruction. But any team that's going to be successful has also had a little bit of discipline. The coach comes in and he's like, hey, we've done this now. We've gone through this on the board 10 times. We're going to run this set in our offense. So let's go. Everybody line up and get, get in your positions. And we're going to run this set. And everybody goes the wrong direction. He's like, no, no, let's try this again, right? And they, they run through it again. And people are cutting the wrong way. And they're not setting the right screens. And what does the coach do? He said, wait a minute. All right, everybody line up on the baseline. And we're running suicides until you all can get this right. So we're going to run a few and they do that and they come back and they're still getting, all right, back on the line, we're doing it again, right? And and that's the correction. That's sort of the negative aspect of it. So that's not just true in, in terms of sports teams, though, is it? Students are the same way. Teachers sit and they teach. Right. That's the positive instruction. But but later on, uh, when, when the child takes the test, right, they've got to mark things wrong. Like if the teacher doesn't correct their errors on their homework or on their test, the, the child's never going to learn. They're going to say, hey, I turned that in. I guess I know how to do it. Right. No, they, they get it wrong. And the teacher says, hey, you need to correct your homework so that you understand and, and grow in the factories. What if they removed all of the disciplinary measures in the factories that many of you all work in? How would that go? If if Jared just said, hey, we're going to teach everybody about safety, but we're not going to hold anybody accountable for that. We're not going to have any kind of uh, repercussions if you're, you know, say, standing on top of a machine on your head, right? Right. Uh, no, that wouldn't go well. Over time, people would say, hey, we talk about this, but it doesn't really matter because there's no correction. So you need both aspects. So, so what about parenting? Listen, in parenting, you have to have both aspects. You have to have the, the instruction. You need to talk to your kids. You need to instruct them about how they should live, what's right and what's wrong, what God expects of them. But there also has to be correction. And now listen, this is what our world doesn't get. All over the place, I see parents that, that don't realize I need to also, I also need to discipline my children. It's not enough for me just to sit down and talk with them. Somewhere along the way, many of us have bought into sort of a secular psychology that says, well, kids are basically good. They know what they're supposed to do. I'll just provide them a little instruction. I'll, I'll talk, I'll talk through it with them and, and I'll remind them, but they don't really need to be disciplined or, or corrected. But, but the reality is the Bible teaches that all of us, adults and children, are sinners. 
And because we're sinners, we must be corrected. And, and sort of the chaos and the denigration of our society that we see around us, I think is in so many ways directly tied to the fact that we as parents have taken our hand off the plow and said we really don't want to discipline our children anymore. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says this, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. You see, your, your, your son, your daughter doesn't just need you to talk to them and, and tell them what they ought to do. Sometimes they need to be disciplined and corrected so that they, that they get it. Discipline really is God's means of common grace and, and restraining sin. And I think we see that sort of falling apart in our world. One person said this, I saw this earlier this week, and I don't remember who, who said it, but he said so many times uh, parents approach the task uh, of parenting and, and their idea uh, is that, well, I've got to kind of get the world ready for my kid. When in reality, our idea, our way of thinking about parenting should be, I need to make sure that my child is ready to enter the world. We've got that upside down. These days, we're just like, hey, i got to kind of insulate the world so that my child can live in it. No, we need to discipline our, our children. Sometimes that correction has to be severe enough to get the point across. Okay, uh, our, our children sometimes don't listen to just instruction. If just instruction was enough, we, we wouldn't need other means or other methods of discipline. But the reality is sometimes because of their sin nature and our sin nature, we've got to be disciplined in ways that are severe enough to correct the behavior. So, so sometimes people say, you know, I'm, I'm working with my children. I'm trying to get them to do the right thing, but they just won't seem to do it. Well, well, there may be other issues there, and I don't want to make a blanket statement uh, over all of that, but, but sometimes the problem may be that your discipline is not severe enough, okay? We, we need to correct them in a way that, that adjusts the behavior, that gets the results that we want. So, you, you know, if, if you were uh, on that sports team, and there was no threat that, hey, I might lose playing time or I might even lose my scholarship if I don't get my act together. If that threat wasn't there, uh, then, then players would not care as much about listening to the coach. And in the workplace, if Jared said when it came to safety, hey, if y'all don't get this safety, we're going to have consequences. And the consequences, you got to go in the room, in, in the break room for 15 minutes and just really think about what you did that wasn't safe. I, I just want you to spend some time in there thinking about how unsafe that was. Mm, probably not going to get the results that you want. But if you say, hey, you've got this process of one warning, uh, then a, a written warning, and then suspension, and then you're going to lose your job, Okay, now that begins to get my attention. It's severe enough to get me to want to correct my behavior. And guess what? Your children are sinners. My children are sinners too. They need to be corrected to the level of severity that is needed to, to change the behavior. And so part of the problem may be that, that we are not severe enough in, in our discipline. So Proverbs 23, 13 says this. This is uh, uh, the New Living Translation, but I like the way that it says it here. Don't fail to discipline your children. They won't die if you spank them. They won't die if you spank them. Spanking, corporal discipline, is one of those severe means of discipline that is needed. It hopefully is not needed a lot. Some children need it a little more than others. I, I needed it quite a bit when I was a, a young boy. Uh, but, but over time, hopefully that's not what you're going to every time. But there are some matters that need to be corrected, and they rise to the level of needing a spanking. All right? And I know in our day and time, that, that may seem like, oh, I can't believe he's talking about that. But, but that's what the Bible says. And, and I'm going to take the word of God over the philosophy of our day, especially when you look at the results that the world is getting these days. So, listen, discipline is hard. Discipline is hard. Whether you're talking about spanking or you're just talking about consistent discipline. I'm, I'm talking about even if you're using timeout, if you discipline your children as they need to be disciplined, and you don't get lazy about it, it takes a lot of resolve, especially when they're younger. 
It's easier to sit on the couch and just wait for them to, to correct that. But, but listen, it, it takes resolve. It takes strength when they get a little bit older and, and they become teenagers. Sometimes there's a, there's almost a, a sort of a, a fear there. Like, I don't, I don't want to drive them away. You know, that kind of idea. And, and, and so, but listen, it takes resolve. It takes strength to discipline our children in the way that they need to be disciplined. And we need to have that kind of resolve. We need to be faithful to discipline our children. And listen, the Bible teaches us really that ultimately that the reason we do this is twofold. One is because when there isn't discipline, chaos ensues, right? It, it, it brings chaos in the family. And, and when it happens enough in enough families, it brings chaos and disorder in society. And so we need to discipline our children. But we also need to discipline them because it is the loving thing to do. Think about this reality. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, that God disciplines His children. All right? So if we're going to think, man, that sounds harsh. That, that sounds, you know, a, a little over the top. We need to understand that God disciplines His children. And we know that the Lord loves His children. He, he's not doing it because He's mean. He's not doing it because He's angry. He's doing it out of love. Love is what drives the Lord to discipline me and to discipline you. In fact, Hebrews says that, that it is this discipline that is a sign that we actually are children of God. Like, I don't go around disciplining other people's children unless I happen to be uh, in, in their uh, uh, kind of given authority over them for a time, whether it's a youth group or, or kids like that. But, but I don't go around disciplining. If someone's receiving discipline from me, it's because they're my children, right? And that's what God is saying in, in Hebrews chapter 12, right? That, that we are to discipline or that he disciplines us. And that is actually a sign that he loves us and that we are his children. We said last week that discipline is the loving thing to do because it ultimately spares our children from a difficult life. I have a whole list of passages that we're not going to get to this morning so because of time. But, but, but listen... Listen to Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. You know what that verse is saying? That, that verse is saying this. If you don't discipline your children, they're going to live in such a way uh, that their life is going to be, be difficult. And ultimately, the book of Proverbs even teaches that, that perhaps they could have an untimely death, an early death. They're going to bring all kinds of difficulty into their life as a result of our not disciplining them. If you want to see me later, I'll give you a, a, a list, a page long of passages that say exactly that thing. Now, one thing we want to notice here about this discipline is you notice it's the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, our discipline of our children is not in our own hands. It's not up to our whims. It's not up to our decisions. It's the discipline that belongs to the Lord. It's His discipline. It's His instruction. So a couple of things that that does. One, we don't just discipline our children because they make us mad or because they frustrate us or because we get angry with them. We discipline them in line with God's teaching and in line with God's law. That's our standard. It also means uh, if it's the discipline of the Lord that it's done out of love. It's like His discipline. So we're not disciplining because we're angry and frustrated. It also means that, that we do it in the power of God's Holy Spirit, which means that we are restrained. We're not off the handle. We're not out of control because the fruit of God's Spirit in our life uh, is self-control. So if any of those things are not true about your discipline, then, then you may be disciplining your children, but you're not doing discipline that is of the Lord. It should be according to His dictates, under the control of His Spirit, and with His motivation, which is love. It's for the good of your children. So you ought to be able to, you ought to, be able to recognize those things in your discipline. And if that's not there, you need to correct that. If it's not under the control of God's Spirit, if it isn't out of love, and if it isn't for the good of your children, uh, then you need to correct the way that you are disciplining. It's the discipline of the Lord. So that's sort of the negative. And we're going to spend a few minutes now on the positive. So, so there's the 
discipline and instruction. This is the more positive side of the, what we are to do. This is the environment in which our children grow. So, so what positive moral instruction are you giving to your children? What positive moral instruction are you giving to your children? What, where does that come from? What, how do you decide what to instruct your children? There, there are different sources, and I just want us to evaluate what's the source of, of my instruction that I'm giving to my children. Some of you might be doing Forrest Gump parenting. Uh, you know Forrest Gump, what did, what did he always say? Mom always said, right? And that might be the source of your instruction for your children. Well, my mom always said this is what my mom and dad always did, right? Well, if that's the source of your parenting, there are some ways that might be good because your mom and dad might happen to be right. They might have actually done, done some good things. Homespun wisdom and learning from experience can be of value, and it's good to pass those things down gener generationally. But the reality is we need a little more certain truth than just what mom and dad always did or the way I was raised. How many of us have ever said that, right? Uh, I think most of us have some, man, the way I was raised and that's the way I'm going to raise my children. Well, that's, that can be good, but we need a little something a little more sure than that. Others might take the psychology today approach. Are you just giving your kids the wisdom of, of the day? When it comes to, to parenting, Christians, I think, are so quick to turn to the world for advice. Why, why is that? Why do we look to the world to see how we are to raise our children? The, the philosophy of this world, listen, the philosophies of this world are at best deficient. Even if there's some good to them, they are deficient. And at worst, they are completely opposed to the teaching of the Bible. So we should not be looking to the world to try to figure out the instruction that we're giving to our children. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. The Word of God ought to be the, the source of our, our, our instruction. Others just take a wing it approach. I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. Some, some others give really just give little or no instruction. I think they'll be all right. Again, I mentioned this last week. This is the approach that says as long as they don't end up in prison, I, I guess I've done okay. I think we should set our standards a little bit higher th than that. But this text, again, it causes not only the discipline, but the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I've told you before, when the Apostle Paul says the Lord, so often it's a re reference to Jesus Christ. And I think that's true here as well. So when he's talking about the discipline and instruction, it's the discipline and instruction of Christ. He is the one that, that governs our discipline, but he is the one that also that, that gives us insight into the instruction that we are to be giving our children. It's the Lord's instruction. So that means our primary task as parents, this passage is telling us, our, our primary task is not to instruct our children so that they'll be star students, so, so that they're standout athletes, so that they're college graduates, so that they're financially secure, or fill in the blank, whatever, whatever else you think you might put there, and say, I'm going to instruct my children so they become this. No, no. This text tells us, instruct your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Your goal, your aim in parenting ought to be that they know the Lord, that they know Christ, and that their life is shaped and formed in some way by Him. It's the discipline of the Lord. So, let me just ask you this morning. I mentioned this text last week in the story when the, the little children were running around and the disciples tried to shoo them away and said, Jesus, look, Jesus is here. He's going to be teaching people. There are important things going on. Let's get rid of these kids. Get them out of the way so we can get to the important things. And Jesus says, no, no, no. These children are important. Let the little children come to me. And so he sits and he talks with the children. So I want you to just consider this this morning, and, and we're going to look at a few of these things. If, if Christ were here today, and he was to take your child and set him on his lap, or sit down next to him in this pew, what would, what would Christ instruct your children? What kind of things would he be telling them? 
Are, are the things that you're trying to emphasize in your child's life, are, are the things that you're trying to teach your children the same things that Christ would if he were here with them today? If he was to say, hey, bring your children, let them sit down next to me, I want to talk to them. Are you telling your children the same things that Christ would tell them? What, what would Christ tell our children? What, what kind of things would He instruct them? If we're to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, of Jesus, what is it that Jesus would instruct our children? Well, I have a few ideas. If we look to the Word of God, one, I think He would instruct them above everything else. You need to love God. Love God, He says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36, the, the greatest commandment. You know, in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, it, it was so important for, for the, the parents to teach their children to keep the law of God. This is what the law of God is. This is what God wants you to do. You need to keep these commandments. And, and Jesus says in Matthew 22 that all of the law can be summed up in two things. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so just think about that. If your children were here, if Christ were here with your children today and he were to sit down, if he had them in the back room teaching our children as they are right now, he would probably be telling them the most important thing, children, you need to do is to love God with everything you got, heart, soul, and mind. One of the catechisms says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And I think that's what Jesus would be teaching our children. When you love God supremely, you worship Him. When you love God supremely, you make your highest priority in life living for the Father and doing His will. That's what Jesus said about His own relationship to His Father. He says, I have not come to do my own will, but I have come to do the will of my Father who sent me. The reason He wanted to do His Father's will, do you know why? Because He loved Him supremely. There, there wasn't anything else He cared for as much as He cared for His heavenly father he loved him so much that he wanted to do everything that his father wanted him to do so that's what jesus would be teaching your children this morning if he were to sit down and talk to them are you instructing them in that way are, are you teaching them that their highest priority in life is to love god with all their heart and soul and mind or are you teaching them even if it's implicitly Listen, even if it's just implicitly, are you teaching them that there are other things they should love more than God? Are you teaching them? Listen, I love baseball. I love football. I love sports. Are you teaching them that they should love sports more than they should love the Lord? Implicitly, listen, so much of parenting is more is more caught than taught. We can talk about instruction, but our children see what is really important. They see how we really are. So you can talk about something at one time, but, but they're going to go with the way that you live. They're, they're not going to go with what you say. They're going to go with what you do. Are you teaching your children even implicitly that there are other things they should love more than the Lord? I love what Vody Bauckham says. He says, if I teach my uh, children to keep their eye on the ball but fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, I have failed as a parent. I think our I think if Jesus were to be instructing our children, I think He would teach them to love others. To love your neighbor. He said the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as you love yourself. I think He would be teaching them not to stay away from hurting people, not to stay away from those who are in need, but to go in like the Good Samaritan. To, to look for need. To have eyes that are open to suffering in this world. And, and not to distance yourself and stay away in, in your little comfort zone, but to go toward it and to help those who are in need. That's what Jesus would be teaching your children. You're so worried about your, your children's comfort and their luxury and their having just a, a great life. And Jesus is saying, I want you to leave all that behind. I want you to go where they're suffering. And I want you to help those who are in need. I think that's what Jesus would be teaching our children. I think our Jesus would be teaching our children to trust in Him. He said, I came not to serve, but uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many, your, your children need to know that they are sinners 
and that they're in need of a Savior. And if Jesus were here today teaching her children, He would be instructing them that they need to trust in Him. He would be instructing them to say, hey, you are a sinner. I have come to be the Savior. I've come to, to pay the ransom, to pay the price for your sins so that you can be forgiven. We need to parent our children in such a way that they see their need of a Savior. Listen, if your parenting's all about being a strict disciplinarian and teaching them always do the right thing so you can be a good person, we're missing the point because guess what? Your children aren't always going to do the right thing. They're going to mess up. They're going to sin. They're sinners just like we are. And they're going to fall. They need to know that when they sin, they have a Savior in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus would be teaching them. Jesus would be teaching them to follow Him. Jesus would call your children. You know, as he goes around and talks to the disciples, he said, come and follow me. That's what Jesus would be calling your children to this morning. And that's what we need to be instructing our children. Jesus would be telling your children, if you lose your life for my sake, you've gained it. Are you telling your children that? Are you instructing them that the that one of the greatest things they could do with their life is to give it up for Jesus Christ. To, to take all their potential, to take all of their future and, and, and live with sort of reckless abandon to do what Jesus wants them to do. Are you instructing your children to, to follow Christ or are you trying to tell them, play it safe? Be careful. Be, be cautious with your life. You, you've got so much potential. You've got so much talent. There's so many things that you can do and you need to invest in yourself so that you can enjoy those things. Are you saying, pour all of that out so that you can follow Christ and do what He wants you to do? Are you telling your children what Jesus would be telling your children? Which is, children, take up your cross and follow Me. Are, are you calling your children to a cross-shaped life to a life of sacrifice for Christ we must be careful that in our care for our children we don't make it our aim to help him find their life in this life because that's what's kind of what we're doing as parents so often I want my children to have life I want to I want to help them find life in this life but you know what Jesus says right if you find your life you're going to lose it but if you lose your life for my sake then you'll find it. We need to be careful that we're not helping our children find their life. I wonder sometimes if we are not teaching our children the exact opposite of what Jesus would be teaching them. Jesus, I think, would be instructing them to find a group of followers of His and invest their life. Jesus said that all people would know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus modeled a life that was connected to other believers. He, he lived to the, vast, the last moment of his life in relationship and community with his followers. And I think that's what Jesus would be instructing us to do and instructing our children to do. I think what this means is we should teach our children to love church. I don't mean love a building or love an organization, but to love the people of God and help them grow. We should be helping them grow in their connectedness with, with other believers. I grew up, in, and I'm thankful for this, I, I grew up that church was like our extended family. There really was a sense in which, in my mind growing up, uh, our church was almost really closer. We, we had cousins and, and family members, but it just kind of bled over, right? That, that this was just life. This wasn't an event that we went to occasionally, uh, but, but these people, we did life with them. These were like our, our extended family members. And I think that's the, what Jesus would be instructing our children. One more thing, I think Jesus would be instructing our children to watch out for the deceitfulness of riches. I think he would be telling them things like this. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Again, I'll, I'll ask you, does, does it concern us? Does it concern you that the very thing many of us are most concerned about for our children is the thing that Jesus would warn them to avoid? Does that, does that cause you, like, I want my children to have plenty. I want them to have a good job 
and a good life and to be able to take care of their family. I want them to have plenty. Does it concern you that for many of us, that is up there, one of the highest priorities for our children, and yet that's the very thing Jesus would be warning our children against. He would say, listen, don't, don't, don't be, be on guard, be on watch for covetousness because one's life, a person's life, does not consist of his possessions. There's so much more to life than, than how big of a house you have and how much money you have. That's what Jesus would be teaching our, our children. I think he would be telling them to watch out for the deceitfulness of riches that, as he tells us in the one parable, choke out the word. All right, they, it, it chokes out the word. In other words, they hear the word of God. They hear the teaching of Christ, but they're so concerned with material possessions that they don't have time to follow Christ. I think Jesus would be warning them about that. If you raise your children to value money and possessions above everything else, they'll be like the rich young man who comes to Jesus and Jesus tells him to go sell everything he has and come follow him. And the man goes away sad. If you teach your children to value money above everything else, they will leave Jesus. They will walk away from him and they will pursue the things of this world. This is by, by no means an exhaustive list of the things that Jesus would teach. But I think this is a good starting point for us. The, the question is, are you teaching them what Christ would teach them? Are you... You're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Are, are you raising your children in the instruction of the Lord or are you just raising them in your own wisdom? Are you raising them with the wisdom of this world or in the instruction of the Lord? Parents, we all fall short, but I think what we should do this morning as we see our deficiency, as parents, let us resolve with the help of God to nurture our children and the environment that will cause their faith to flourish. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We want to ask, Lord, as we close this service in prayer for our children, God, we, we want to pray for our children. We do want to pray for their well-being in life. We want to pray that you would meet their needs, that you would supply uh, so, so that they don't live in lack and in want. We want to pray for their physical well-being, for their health, for their security. God, we want to pray for our nation, that it would continue to be uh, a place of freedom so that our children can experience the same country we lived in. But Lord, above all of that, we want to pray that our children would know You, that they would live for You, that they would lay down their life to follow You, and by doing so, that they would find their life. God, would You save our, our children? Would you open their eyes to the gospel? We know, Lord, that we can teach them, we can instruct them, but ultimately a work of converting grace has to happen in their heart for them to turn to Christ. And we pray that you would do that. We're helpless without you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.